Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Bex. And I'm Laura. And we're here to talk openly and honestly about miscarriage, stillbirth, and all pregnancy loss. We aim to smash the taboo surrounding these subjects and rebuild the topic in a way to support and educate women rather than isolate and shame them. Welcome to the worst girl gang ever. Well, hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of the worst girl gang ever. We are so excited to be joined in the studio. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't start. Are we still using that joke in series well, five? <laughs> is it series five? I couldn't remember yeah. if it was series four or five. I feel like it's going to make a comeback in series five. Do you reckon? Yeah. Did anyway. Is it enough in series four? No, we didn't. In the studio here, we are so lucky to be joined by Charlotte Grand, aka The Fertility Kitchen. Hello, Charlotte. Hi guys, thanks so much for having me. Oh, Welcome. Thank, thank, yeah, it's been a long time coming this one. I think we first contacted you like maybe a year ago even. Yeah, like or even eight, like I'm sure it was the beginning, it was a long time ago, like maybe a couple of years ago. It was, you've been one of those elusive people that we keep missing each other and then life happens and yeah, but no, yeah. it's great to have you here. Thanks, it's great to be here finally. You've been very busy in the time that we've... Um... We've not been actually hooking up with you, but trying to. Tell us a bit about yeah. what's been going on. So the last two years pretty much has been consumed with bringing the Fertility Kitchen cookbook to life, really. Yay. So, yeah, it's super exciting. It's something that I've been working on. At, well, actually, I've had the concept in my brain since 2015. So it's been a really long time coming. Mm-hmm. Um, and I finally felt in a position to be able to bring it bring it to the world a couple of years ago so the last two years have pretty much been consumed with writing and um and photographing the book well I didn't photograph it but you know getting everything done editing all of that stuff it is I have to say I was lucky enough to uh to be sent a copy and it is a beautiful book it's like it's so aesthetically I love cookbooks like the the I think being a photographer as well I'm particularly drawn to that sort of food photography and stuff but just everything about your book is it's not just a book for fertility is it it's a it's a really kind of I can't remember the right word but comprehensive it's a really comprehensive kind of guide and there's so much advice in it and the recipes are amazing and the photography is wonderful so it's you know huge congratulations on providing such a um, a well-rounded kind of resource in a beautiful way thank you yeah that was like a key sort of thing for me because when I was on my own fertility journey, I did a lot of research in, into nutrition. 
And all the books that I came across were very kind of text-driven, paperback, yeah. quite boring, dry books. And, you know, I'm quite a nerd, so I didn't mind sort of reading all that information, but it, it's pretty much like these are the nutrients you need. And it's like, well, great, but how does that translate into real life and everyday eating? And so, yeah, and nice food as well, stuff that you actually want to eat rather than just ticking <laughs> the boxes. Exactly. Nice food. And, you know, and also translating it into to real life, which is busy. And, you know, so we need quick and easy recipes and we need to know how to eat those nutrients that we want that we need to be eating. Mm. That was like my vision. I wanted a cookbook, but I also wanted to provide that nutrition advice so that people, like you say, had a comprehensive um, book that then gave them that advice and showed them how that they could then put that into practice. Mm. And think, you, you, Charlotte, you mentioned about your fertility journey. Perhaps we can start there and you can kind of explain to us how you ended up here creating this book and why. Yeah, of course. So it's it's a long time ago now. So we've got to rewind to about, about 14, 15 years ago when we started trying to conceive. So um, I've been with my husband since I was 17. So we um, got married at 25. So it's, um, I was 25 when we got married. And so by that point, we've been together so long, we were quite keen to start a family quite quickly. And so we started trying, I think I was about 26. And like everyone, naively assumed that it would happen on the first go. You know, I actually remember the first go and thinking, oh, I'm going to be pregnant. Like, you know, yeah. I'm actually embarrassing now, like thinking yeah. about how naive I was. Um, but, you know, there was no reason for me to believe that it would be any different because I had a textbook menstrual cycle. I'm, I'm one of these textbook people, 28 day cycle, bang on, mid cycle, ovulate, like there's no obvious cause. And so we just assumed we would it would happen. And three years down the line, we, you know, we'd gone through all the tests and things with the GP. Um, I'd had a hysteroscopy and a laparoscopy and, and my husband obviously had his checks and everything was completely normal. And so we were diagnosed with unexplained infertility and referred for IVF. And I remember that being a really big shock because I just wasn't anticipating that IVF would be the first thing that they would offer us. I thought mm-hmm. maybe they would suggest IUI or I don't know, something else. And so that was a shock. I remember it being quite hard to get my head around that. But once I did... Um, we got referred to a clinic and I'd started to think about diet and lifestyle, but not in a big way. So sort of during the three years that we were trying, the first thing I went and had was acupuncture. Mm-hmm. I think like everyone has that on their fertility journey. Don't they? <laughs> um, and so I went and had acupuncture and um, it was for fertility, but also for stress. because I used to work as a fashion buyer. So my job was quite intense, quite, quite high, high stress levels. And um, I remember the first period I had following having about three treatments of acupuncture was pain free. And I'd had years of sort of monthly agony. So I'd been someone who had the textbook cycle, but used to have period pain. And did you think you must have just thought that that was normal and that's what the periods were like? Yeah, because that's what we all kind of talk about, isn't it? We talk about the problems. And so we all just assume that period kind of we have to put up with it. And so, yeah, the first period I had was pain-free and actually I've never had a painful period since like not one period cramp since then so um you know that for me was quite an incredible I guess a light bulb moment the first light bulb moment I've had on this journey and um I over time had like so I had regular treatment weekly for a long time and I just slowly got more and more interested in acupuncture and um I loved the way it made me feel so I used to feel just so um 
you know, great sense of well-being from acupuncture. I don't know if you've had acupuncture, but you kind of you just get such a spring in your step. And so over time, I then decided to retrain in acupuncture. So, yeah, so I am an acupuncturist as well. And so that was the first thing I did in terms of just on my wellness journey and and getting to this point. Um, And then so we had IVF and I'd started to look at other stuff like diet and lifestyle a little bit, added in like a protein smoothie, things like that. And then... um, we had our first cycle and we were very blessed and we conceived George who is now 10. So he was our first IVF round. And then after having George, I continued kind of making small changes, but nothing massive to my diet. It was, you know, just experimenting a little bit because I already thought I was healthy mm-hmm. and no one had ever given me reason to believe that my diet wasn't healthy and I was slim. And I guess like in our culture, slim means healthy, doesn't it? Yeah, and so, yeah. um, so then we wanted to try really quickly for, for number two, just because we knew it could take forever because it had taken three years to get George. And so when George was nine months old, we started trying and we tried for another year and nothing happened. So we thought, well, we've got we had an embryo in the freezer. Um, so we went and had that put back on a natural cycle just because my cycle was textbook. And that wasn't successful. And looking back now, I kind of think, well, it wasn't really the right time. I was still kind of vaguely breastfeeding George a little bit, which obviously interferes with your hormones. Mm. And I was um, finishing up my acupuncture degree. So everything was a bit bit stressful and that didn't work. So then we had a fresh cycle and we, we conceived on that cycle. And um, that was really great. But unfortunately, I had a chemical pregnancy from that cycle. So um, we got the positive test on um, like a Saturday, say, and then I think by the Wednesday I was bleeding and then I tested and it was just negative. Mm. So I remember that being a massive shock because yeah. obviously it had gone perfect with George. So you just assume that you're going to have the same experience again. And Isn't it mad how we still, even after going through shit, you still, that that part of you that that is desperately hopeful and everything still assumes that things will be okay. Yeah, and you assume that you're going to experience the same thing again, and it's it's so cruel when you don't like Laura. For you, I know that when you got your your treatment plan and you had Bertie, you assume that that would be it, then, wouldn't you? Yeah. That you would just follow I the same plan again. People and... who go through infertility often think that that hopefully that that is the only problem that they're going to have. So to then throw in the loss side of things as well mm. it is really cruel, and 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 to to pay all that money and to wait all that time. And then for it to happen, it's just like another. Yeah, bad, isn't it? yeah and I'd had uh, we'd had loads of embryos, but they had um, ditched them all. So uh, like on day six, they decided they weren't good enough. And um, so we didn't have anything left either. So we had to then go through another fresh round. Um, mm-hmm. to, to, you know, And it was like that staring down the barrel of IVF again, really. Um, and. But we did it. So I think I had like three months um, break and then we went for IVF again Had um, and we got pregnant with Alex. So Alex is now seven. Um, so, again, you know, I think in the scheme of like women that I work with and, and stories that I hear, we probably had a fairly easy time of it, even though it was, yeah. you know, it was still shit. Um, you know, it's it, it. we were lucky because we conceived and um, and we've got two wonderful boys now. And so 
then kind of just getting to the point that I'm at now after, um, well, actually between George and Alex, I gave up sugar. And that was a really interesting thing because I used to be such a sugar monster. I was like, I loved Haribo. I would eat like bags of that. I would have, um, I liked Coca-Cola, which I just like wouldn't touch with a barge pole. Now I loved um, cereal. I lived on cereal. Um, and and looking back, it was very much, um, you know, my blood sugar was probably all over the place. I was just like, using it to keep going through stress and, and, and stuff like that. And um, interestingly, and like, obviously this isn't scientific at all, but I had um, Alex is now he likes sugary things, but he's not hugely like, he doesn't have that desire, like a need, need, need. And I didn't drink um, or eat any sugar, like refined sugars during my pregnancy with him. Whereas with George, I did. And he is like, completely wired for sugar and I feel like that's quite an interesting observation really you know given that I'd given up sugar in between um and so I'd started to see the benefits of of that um just in my mood so giving up sugar I was you know much more consistent in mood my energy levels were really consistent my appetite was much more consistent like whereas before I always had a raging hunger that had just like completely disappeared from from removing sugar um and then when Alex was a baby I I don't remember why now, but I decided to remove dairy from my diet. And um, it was about three months after removing dairy that I suddenly realised I didn't have asthma anymore. And that was something that I'd had since I was a child. So I'd got diagnosed with asthma at five. I used to take my inhaler every day and I would carry it everywhere and I had a preventer. So, you know, I would get wheezy on a daily basis. And I suddenly said to my husband, I've not I've not taken my inhaler. Like, I can't remember the last time and I don't get wheezy anymore. And so that was really, I would say, the the catalyst for my interest in nutrition and Mm -hmm. really kind of um, made me think about the power of food as as a form of medicine, really. And so that had me then, I think Alex was about four months old and I decided to, I wanted to to study nutrition. Um, And so I remember carting him up to London in his little baby carrier and going and looking around nutrition schools. And I think like, looking back, I think, what the was I doing because I had a fertility acupuncture clinic um you know I had two young children and there I was off I was you know on this mission that I was going to go and study nutrition which I did for three years but also at that time and another sort of catalyst was I I was remember feeding Alex in the early hours of the morning and I was thinking what would I have loved on my journey and I was reflecting on my fertility journey I was reflecting on my clients and what they had been telling me their feedback and I thought, you know what, I would have loved this cookbook that that had that nutrition advice and the recipes that showed you how to do that. Mm. And th- at that point, the fertility kitchen popped into my head. So that was in 2015. And I thought, that is epic. Like, love that name. Mm. Um, so in the middle of the night, I remember scrabbling around on my phone, <laughs> just that Insta was available and the website and everything. And it all was. And I remember registering it. And that was the start of it. And then I thought, you know what, I've got to be credible if I want to to um, help women with nutrition I need to get qualified so I went and did a three-year course and qualified in nutrition and at the same time set up my Instagram started sharing creating recipes and got like really nice feedback a good positive response from that it seemed like people had a real appetite for it and um, and then yeah it's sort of grown from there really so I got myself I think it was about 
pre-pandemic I'd got myself to around 10,000 Instagram followers and I thought that is a, quite a good point at which to to start looking for an agent and bringing my idea to the world so yeah. um so that that's what happened really I I wrote a book proposal and found an agent and it just it's just gone from there really and that was um back in 2020 so and it was published yeah. earlier this year yeah, so in tw- so August 2020, I got my agent. We had the book deal by the December, and then I had to write the book. Um, I had till June to write the book last year, and then we had the photo shoot in September, edits for the rest of the year, and then, yeah, it went to print at the beginning of this year, and then it was published on the 23rd of June. So, yeah. yeah. So you can get it now. You can get it in Amazon, on Amazon yeah. even, not in. Yeah. I don't think there is a amazon shop on the high street but you can get it everywhere can't you yeah all good bookshops amazon yeah i've got my i've got a copy here um so this is like it's just incredible like i know you guys have, have written books as well and so you know when you get to hold that copy for the first time it's just like yeah. it's just such an amazing feeling and you know that vision that i've been holding on to and i could have given up so many times i mean even yeah. like my nutrition um training I like I wanted to give up so many times and actually during that training I I had a miss miscarriage as well which we can talk about and and I actually you know was very close to thinking what am I doing like what's the point of this I'm not I'm not going to do it anymore but luckily I just carried on plowing on and um I think with that sort of thing when it's when it's a passion that's fueled by your experience of just wanting to make life knowing how difficult things can be for other people wanting to make that just a little bit easier is a real sort of um fuel isn't it to yeah keep going because it is you have that experience and it is so shit and just the idea that you can make things better for someone in the future absolutely is, is so much is is that's definitely when we when we get you know when you get a little bit bigger and stuff obviously as you probably know it's and you start to get a little bit of negativity or criticism or just why are you saying this? Why are you saying that? So many times Laura and I have just been like, fuck it. We don't need this. <laughs> but, and you just go, and then, and then you start looking at the positive things that people have said and the, the, the comments like, I don't know where I'd be without you, or this has helped me so much, or I was in such a dark place and now I feel hopeful, all that stuff. That's what keeps you going. Just that idea that what you've done can, can make things easier for someone that's, that's in a really dark place. Definitely. It really does keep you going. And, you know, I, I haven't had too much negativity yet, but I'm, I, I'm not. Um, and I, it, it probably will change, but I try not to to show myself too much on, on Instagram. Yeah. Quite a private person. Yeah. Um, We're quite controversial. I think that's why. why we've Yeah. Had, yeah. Yeah. But I had a, I did have a comment that said, um, well, I like that. And I think, you know, that's that's how you find your people, isn't it? Because people who like that will come to you. Yeah. And people who don't can can. People don't send us wildly, wildly. They take the trash out for you, can't they? But, um, yeah, so I had one comment, I think, when I posted that the book was available. Someone said something like, oh, for God's sake, like, I'm fed up with people profiteering off of fertility and stuff. And it's like, it's really not about that at all. No. You know, I know my book book. is not a money-making scheme, is it? There's not money in it. No, exactly. It took over my life. Like I, I had to really cut my clients back because, you know, I've got two boys. I was I was literally writing from morning till night. I was cooking all day. Sometimes I was, you know, working till two, three o'clock in the morning. And 
it, you know, it was such a labor of love, but I know that I've got all this knowledge, skill, expertise, and I really, you know, that's something that I can share with people so that they don't have to go and do what I did, which was, you know, get that knowledge and expertise. And, you know, I spent thousands on, on getting qualified and yeah. getting it's myself... Really- I think it's really difficult when people don't see the full picture and people see that you know you're you're you are making money for example and but and they judge you for that like profiteering of of fertility issues or loss or whatever but actually what they don't see is that you in order to do this like in order for us in this community to be able to give all of ourselves to the community all of the time like what how we wouldn't be able to pay the mortgage the rent you know yeah. the bills if we didn't make money so it's kind of like hang on yeah <laughs> look at the bigger picture here we absolutely love doing this and we're doing this but we're not we're not making millions and we're no. just making enough to be able to afford we could stop food. charging for things but then we wouldn't be able to do any of it exactly yeah. and we'd have to go exactly. back to work so. Yeah, and I think the majority of people understand that, don't they? Like, you know, it's only a yes, few, uh, it's the do. minority who don't. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then you get you get texts. I always find that at times when I'm feeling like, oh, why am I doing this? I'll get a nice message on Instagram mm. and someone will say, yeah. I've just got your book, it's really helped me. And I'm like, oh my God, okay, it is worth it. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Is that definitely like, okay, all right, that was someone trying to tell me to keep going. I yeah. get it. Yeah. Exactly. Charlotte, like, you mentioned that during your nutrition course you had a mis- miscarriage. Was that a natural conception? Yeah, it was. Oh, wow. and it was I mean, honestly, it was the, the, the most amazing thing and completely out of the blue as well. So we weren't sort of trying, but, you know, we don't we don't tend to use protection just because <laughs> infertility. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like, yeah. We tried for five years for the boys and nothing, not even a squinter on a pregnancy test. Um, and I like that. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> and so, like, um, yeah, we got we got pregnant out of the blue, and it was. I just thought, oh my god, this is what ev- what you know normal people get to. How did you How did you know? Because presumably, you've like obviously you did a pregnancy test, but but did you start getting symptoms? Were you like what? No. no so I, was, I remember like yeah, I I considered it because I think my period was a bit late and I did a really shitty Amazon test that I found in my drawer and it was negative. So I just chucked it away and went on and, and didn't even give it another thought. I just thought, okay, I'm not pregnant. I'm just, you know, and I just, I did feel a bit weird, like um, a bit um, vertigo-y, um, which was strange, like the weekend before, um, but nothing major. And then, then, but my period just didn't come. And I was like, where the hell is this? And then I remember one morning I thought it's quite like I've got a bit and so I hot-footed it to Tesco at like six in the morning um I remember having the boys in the trolley I don't think Jez was here and um had the boys like in the trolley I was going around got the test got them home went up did it and it was positive and I was like what the hell (laughs) (laughs) seriously it was and I didn't even tell my husband for a couple of days just because I was like this is like insane yeah um and so did eventually told my husband and and he was just like wow like oh my god like that's amazing and we were just oh. to be. you must have like felt like this is this is meant to be you know it's mm-hmm. yeah and you do hear stories like that often don't you yeah and yeah. like I think just because it was just it was so nice and I know it didn't end well but it was so nice to experience what, what most people get to experience yeah. that you know I I had that point where oh, I haven't, my period isn't, you know, and, and us in the, in the infertility world, we're like, 
how can you not know? Like, no, yeah. how, are you, how are you not symptom spotting and testing every day and all of that kind of thing? So you've but got I, the whole, you've got the no, no stressing in your two week wait, no nothing. like obsessively testing that that kind of thing, and just like wow, surprise. No obsessive checking of the underwear, you know, yeah. my period kind of thing. I just got on with my life, and it was it was so incredible to experience that. And then, um, so you know, obviously having had IVF, I was used to having early scans so I said to my husband I just want to go and have an early scan and make sure everything's okay and so eight weeks we went and had um uh, an early scan and everything was fine we saw the heartbeat we were literally like you know so over the moon and um and then I was telling people Charlotte were you like no I decided to leave it right um which I I don't know yeah I'm glad I did really but um left it and then was waiting for the um, NHS scan and I had um, I, I had a home birth for my son Alex so I I knew I wanted a home birth so I was like I've got to get in with the home birth team so I'd already kind of taken steps once we'd seen the heartbeat to to um, get in with a midwife etc and, and you need to do that don't you to get your scan and so um, skipped along to the 12-week scan and I was literally had been devising in my head all these ways that I was going to tell my parents and things like that. Yeah. Um, and it honestly, it, it's, it's such a sticking, like hideous memory, really. I just remember mm. um, lying there. I remember saying to the lady, oh, we've we've seen the heartbeat already. So it was all like very joyful in the room. And then it, and then I don't really remember her going super silent, but she just suddenly went, I'm so sorry, there's no heartbeat. And we were just like, like flawed and my husband like I, I still remember very clearly his really sharp intake of breath he was just like <gasps> and you know and, and then it was just yeah shit <laughs> so, shit. so shit um and you get like they wanted to send me back out into the room where all the other people were waiting for their scans and I said look I can't I was crying I was like I can't go back through that room just because I don't want to as much for my own protection but also I don't want to anyone else sitting there waiting for their scan who might be anxious yeah. to see me coming yeah, out I remember out. I remember thinking that same thing because I was just god but you have that sort of I had to walk back through and I can remember trying to stop crying because I was thinking all these women are going to know and they're going to think that it could happen to them as well exactly it's so tra- traumatizing it's like I can't think about it without getting emotional no. it's so tra- traumatic and traumatizing and yet no one, it's not, I always thought like finding out that you'd lost your baby at your scan was like some sort of urban legend, you know, something that you thought would never happen to you. Something that happens to someone that you've heard, you know, someone's brother's wife, sister's cousin once removed, that that sort of distance. Mm. And then when you actually, when I joined this community and discovered how common um, it is to, to find out at your scan that your baby hasn't, has, has died, I was completely flummoxed, completely like at no point was I said, was I, did I know that that, that might be happen? I know. And I think it's, we don't get educated on that. We get told about miscarriage, um, but we don't get educated about miscarriage. I mean, most people don't even know what it is, do they? Um, And yeah, I remember they got me out of a side door and I just, and and then I had to go and sit in a room and this really young doctor came in who clearly didn't, you know, was ill-equipped to deal with me. And he just gave me three pieces of paper. One said medical management, one said natural, and one said um, DNC. And he was just like, read these and and decide what you want to do. And I was just like, what the hell? Like, we've just been told our baby's died and you're just like, he just didn't know what to do. But, Mm. you know, and that's not good enough, is it really? Um, 
but yeah so and and oh god we had the icing on the cake was we'd had um we were going on holiday at the end of that week and we were we'd had we'd booked a villa in Portugal and I wanted to have a natural miscarriage I decided that I just wanted to see what would happen I went and had some acupuncture and things like that and um I started to miscarry but it, it just it wasn't fully happening and because we were going on holiday I said to my husband I, I literally cannot go like and and do this on the plane so mm-hmm. um we um we got booked in for a DNC and there's a few things around that DNC that are just really hideous memories like um I remember they they wheeled me up from the ward to where you go to have it done in the the, the general lift so like and I was like bleeding quite a lot because you get a pessary before you have a dnc and um i could feel things happening and i'm sat in a lift and there's just a bloke standing there and i'm like this is just horrendous and then he wheeled me into the theater and there was a heavily pregnant person in there working and i'm like for christ's sake like what is wrong with people and i just remember crying my eyes out as they were putting me to sleep it's just like the whole added it's just added shit like you're already it's just when you think that that things can't get any worse and you can't get any sadder and you just get i remember i remember when i was i was i like had a probe thing and they were i was in hospital and i already knew what had happened and stuff and then I started bleeding like really heavily on the floor. <laughs> Doctor, do, I don't know why, but she just did. She she sort of panicked and left it in there and went to get help. And I was just lying there. And because it was COVID, my husband wasn't with me. And I was just lying there with this fucking probe inside me, just thinking, this can't be right. Like, am I dying? <laughs> this just does not feel like it should be happening right now. But it's just this added like lack of kind of um sensitivity around the subject that just makes you feel even fucking worse and it's those memories that stay with you and traumatize you over and over and over again because they they you know they flash back it's yeah and they, and they need a separate ward you know they need a separate section to the the sort of antenatal kind of because that's where you go as well like for infertility as well you go to the antenatal um where all the pregnant people are um and you know it's like a cruel sick joke where they're parading these people around in front of you um but yeah and then go back to the story with the the miscarriage so then I had had the DNC got home sort of recovering and it was about a couple of days before we're going on holiday I just checked my son's passport and he still had his baby passport and it was out of date so he couldn't even go on holiday (laughs) Oh, <laughs> that sucks. They, that I know it really sucks because my husband said, "Look, you know, when we when we get to the villa, you can just chill out. I'm gonna look after George. Like, you just sunbathe and like, you know, relax and really rest." And um, I thought, you know what, this is gonna be actually really helpful and to get away from it all. And yeah, um, yeah his bloody passport was out of date, and they don't do um, kids' passports on a one day turnaround. You can't go to London and get a kid's passport because. Um, of parental you know in case parents have split up and things like that and so we just oh. go um and so and I you know George was looking forward to it I was like sorry darling we're not going and god so it added another level of shit to, to that experience yeah after you experienced that natural pregnancy um did you think okay so we could we could go again yes immediately that was my immediate thought and I think maybe it's a a coping mechanism Mm. but I wanted to be pregnant immediately again and I even said to my husband as we were walking like not long after we'd been told I said I want to start trying immediately 
Um, and I think like, and we did, but looking back, I'm, I'm glad that we didn't, we weren't successful. I just wasn't in the right frame of mind. And also like, it just allowed me that time to grieve that baby. Um, and I like, I know some people get pregnant immediately and that's fine. Um, but for me, it ended up being a blessing that I didn't because, um, because I just, I was able to, to work through that, that whole grieving process. Um, that's good. Do people yeah. say to you afterwards, oh, you're very fertile. Afterwards. Oh no, I just got stupid things like, at least you got pregnant. Like at least now, you know, you can, um, and uh what else were you trying for a, a girl like oh. no for Christ's sake I wasn't um you know so lots of things like that I had a lot I did have lots of sensitive people as well but um you know I think people just don't know how to 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 be with you when you've been it's through that. Yeah, it's just so education true. it's just education into how to support people going through this massive 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 problem that happens to thousands of women every day if this was anything else we would know we would all be taught how to support someone going through this because it is such a big thing 25 percent of pregnancies end in loss that is a huge huge statistic and if it was anything else we would all be taught how to support people in that situation because that would be a normal thing to do, to teach people how to support people when it's this massive, massive, massive problem. Yeah. But because we haven't had that historically, we haven't had that, no one knows what to do. And so all these women are still invalidated, grieving and, and everything and, and being made to feel like shit, even, even more so than they are in their own personal world by other people because they don't they haven't been taught how to support people properly yeah I've been thinking about this recently because actually I think we as humans are pretty shit at any sort of grief but I think the reason we're better at someone's with when someone's grandparent dies is because people talk about it more Mm. and it's not something that that is sort of silence so people are still shit in those situations people still say stay strong yeah well they had a good life you know they had good innings yeah Yeah. they're in a better place all of those sorts of things so I think I think we're shit at grief in general Uh, yeah the reason we're so shit at baby loss grief is because people have less of an opportunity to a when you experience losing a grandparent for example which everybody does usually then you you know what makes you feel better and what doesn't so it's easier to then use your personal experiences to to support someone else but with baby loss obviously not everybody experiences it so not everyone has that those 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 personal experiences of shit things that are said and things that are helpful um yeah I just think we're just maybe it's a British thing as well (laughs) and it's a natural thing I think like you know we all expect to lose our our grandparents don't really that's you know, that's the natural order of things but to lose a baby as well is, is just you know tragic yeah. isn't it? it goes against it goes against what what is right in the world doesn't it yeah. but also if you have like I, I totally agree Laura I think that people are shit at dealing with grief and I think that needs to be introduced at an early age like yeah you know in PS, PS, PSHE yeah, whatever they call it these days. Whatever they call it these days. <laughs> it, that that needs to become a thing, like how to support others through grief. Because you can bet your ass that at school, while you're at school, someone's grandparent is going to die. Yeah. And certainly at my kids' school, there are pregnant women all the time coming into the playground. And if there are pregnant women in the playground, there are there are pregnant women losing their babies before mm-hmm. they're before perhaps they're showing. You know, at, at an early loss and stuff. And that 
that needs to be addressed in school because if a child like my children all found out what happened but they didn't get any support in school because that there, there, there is no you know there, there's no to, no one to facilitate that mm. so yeah. who do all these brothers and sisters these siblings their parents are in bits at home they're going to school but because it's not recognized as something major a major major life experience that they might that they might have it's not recognized and these kids aren't giving the support that they they perhaps really need at school mm. and I think this is, is so much more than what it looks like at first at first glance the ripple effects of what might ha- be happening behind the scenes to these women and these couples and these families is huge and it needs to be massively and a massive overhaul to provide the correct support support for the correct you know in the in the correct context yeah it's still quite a taboo subject isn't it and the whole kind of not telling people you're pregnant as well I think probably adds to that especially you know with early loss as well because you just you haven't told people you're even pregnant Mm. and so you I don't know it's weird then to go and tell people oh I was pregnant and I was pregnant but I'm not yeah yeah yeah, I don't know what's worse. I don't. I've I've did I've did different things with different pregnancies. Sometimes I told people early. Sometimes I didn't. And actually, I mean, nothing makes it any easier. But when I told people, at least it felt like it. it my pregnancy existed in someone else's life. It made it a little bit yeah. more, more real. Yeah. I was having a like a one-on-one chat with someone who's on one of our courses at the moment the other night, and we were talking about this exact thing, and she said that it felt easier to tell people what had happened that already knew Mm. is to tackle the whole, the whole thing. Oh, I was pregnant and now I'm not anymore. Just felt like too much energy, too exhausting to contemplate that story. Whereas you can just, I remember just at my scan, just sending a text to my mom, my two best friends, just saying it's not good news. There's no heartbeat. And then I had that immediate kind of, whereas with my wider family, I had to sort of, Oh, well, we were, and now we're not, and this is what's happening. You know, it's just, oh, mm. just exhausting, isn't it? Grief is exhausting sometimes. Mm-hmm. And you don't, I mean, you don't want to, um, necess- like, I, I got really upset when I was, obviously, thinking about it and talking about it. So I, I don't think I ended up telling that many people. I told my mum and my dad and one of my friends who knew, actually, I did have a friend who knew I was pregnant, um, but she was like my infertility kind of sister. We'd gone through IVF together at the same time, so she knew everything, really. Um um, but I didn't really tell that many other people. I told my college because I'd I was going to have a gap year, right? So I had to let them know so that I could carry on and go back to my studies. But yeah, I kind of it's, so, it's personal, isn't it? And that's what we say: like the privacy of miscarriage should be a choice, not an instruction. Like if you don't want to talk about it, that's it's that's totally fine. That's totally understandable, and you've got your reasons for not wanting to talk about it. But you shouldn't feel like you can't talk about it. No, and I think as well, I didn't want the whole, the, the insensitive comments. Yeah. Know, at least, at least, and blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah. The thing for me was telling people that I was pregnant again after so many miscarriages. People started off, the first the first few times people were excited for me, and then afterwards they were like, should you I be mean, telling people? Yeah, oh God. I'm like, what? <laughs> because me telling you this is going to be the cause of the next miscarriage, right? No. Yeah. No, that's another one to add to the the don't say list. <laughs> yeah, yeah. People just weren't. People were more like, oh, when I told them. Yeah. So, and Charlotte, what does your? Where are you now with everything? 
what fertility like fertility yeah one. where are you have you made your peace with with your fertility journey or are you still hopeful for the future to have another child or um well I'm now 40 so I'm kind are of you yeah bloody hell that <laughs> diet book is a good buy, <laughs> people uh, get yourself <laughs> that book. quick pronto Oh, well, thanks. That's really nice because I feel so old. Um, I'm definitely cutting out sugar. Dairy. Oh, honestly, you wouldn't want, lots of people wouldn't want to eat the way I do because I don't. Um, and they think it's all the nice things, but you know, I I, I think that there's so much joy in the in the food that I um, sort of promote and that in the, in my book and stuff. But I don't eat gluten. I don't eat dairy. I don't eat. I have. I do have sugar, but just um, uh, try and keep it low. And I don't really drink alcohol either. But that's not because I have anything against it. It's just it doesn't make me feel good when I I, I don't like. The older I get, the less I can handle it. And then mm. you know, and then I, I'll have a hangover for two days, which I quite frankly I don't have the time for that. So um, I hear you. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know what? I would I would love another baby if it but I don't there's I just don't want to have fertility treatment. I don't want to get back on the whole um uh you know tracking your cycle, knowing what's going on. I like the spontaneity of life now. I d I don't want to be um obsessing and you know, yeah. knowing that I've passed ovulation and all of that kind of stuff because now um, obviously it's a long way since we were actively trying but I just um, don't I have I feel got out of that whole dividing each month into two type you know mm. I, you know I feel like I have managed to leave that behind and, and get on with my life um, because it's such a big thing it just takes over doesn't it and you just even if you're not trying so I think part of the problem after we had the miscarriage and we started trying you know we then started trying and so it brought back all of that um, tracking and obsession, um, yeah, and just like checking my pattern, like near to period, that kind of stuff, which mm. is just miserable. And so um, slowly, slowly, we just stopped trying. Um, and so we're not trying. Um, but yeah, like I said, if it did happen, it would be amazing. But I'd, I'm also would be a bit scared about about it again you know if we did get pregnant I would be scared about the whole thing um yeah. you know getting to the 12 weeks but I am and I know sometimes it can be triggering for people to hear this but I and I think it's because I've had a, a good experience and I've got my two children but I, I do feel blessed by my infertility journey because it led me to um so much um a richer life just you know I'm I'm so much healthier than I ever was uh, I have a job that I absolutely adore. I love helping people. Um, and, you know, I think as well, in terms of my uh, diet and lifestyle, um, I've probably helped myself in terms of future, like longevity or just avoiding illnesses that that plague a lot of people. Um, because I know that I've sorted out, like, you know, the blood sugar balance, my, my body's working optimally, I hope. And so you know, I've potentially avoided diabetes that could have been because diabetes is something that builds up over a very, very long period of time. And so the way I was eating all that sugar all the time, um, it would have been paving the way for, you know, future issues. So I think that actually I, I had this in my 20s and it's completely overhauled my life, really. Um, and so that for me is a, is a very positive thing because you know, I'm healthy, I'm happy, and I, and I do have my boys as well. Um, but yeah. you know, I've got this this thriving business in my book, and you know, and I'm doing what I love. 
yeah well that's really good to hear charlotte thank you so much for uh for joining us it's so good to finally see your face and hear your voice um that's not a voice note obviously and um huge huge congratulations on producing such a phenomenal book if you're listening to this hopefully you're going to go and buy it now on uh, on amazon or any good book retailer it really is a pleasure to uh, to read and to to see really to have a, a perfect addition to any book shelf we'll put the link in the show notes lovely Fabulous. Thank you so much. Lovely to meet you and keep in touch. Yeah, lovely to meet you and good luck for your launch and everything. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. And please, please, when you have a second, rate us, review us and share us. And let's get this taboo smashed. See you next week.